When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. All right, so when I'm talking about getting my hands on the experts and getting their information into your hands, uh, this this next guest exemplifies that concept. I'm talking again, uh, uh, thankfully, with Dr. Mel Pohl. We first met and did a show together out in London at ICAD. Um, so this is one of the world traveler big brains here. Um, and we're talking about... Uh, uh, Pain management. I mean, this is your specialty. It's what we talked about last time. But we're dealing with kids with head injuries and snowboard injuries and skateboard injuries. They go to the dentist. They are handed opiates. They are handed uh, things that are way too much for a child developing brain. But we've got to come up with some skills for parents to navigate this because the popularity of the opioid crisis is now embedded within us. And we're watching these huge pharmaceutical companies getting sued. Mm -hmm. Finally. By states. Sure. And, uh, you know, our kids are still getting hurt. And we still have doctors who are giving pain meds. And we have heroin epidemics among children. So, and before we get into that, Dr. Mel Paul, please uh, give them your background, how long you've been in the industry, hmm. and what we're doing here at Winter Symposium in Colorado Springs. Uh, thanks. Great to be here. Uh, I'm a family doctor, and I've been treating drug addiction, uh, substance use disorder since 1979, so about 40-plus years. You're a medical MD. I am a physician. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the medical director, and now I'm the chief medical officer of a program in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Uh, and we treat addiction, uh, so we see a lot of heroin, uh, fentanyl, uh, laced uh, products with overdoses and multiple overdoses, tragedies. Uh, but we also treat people who have co-occurring substance issues and a painful condition. And for us, uh, it, it's people who've developed a, a, a long-term, more than six months condition of chronic pain. Uh, that said, the, the, to respond to your initial uh, point, acute pain or a dental procedure or broken or sprained bone or uh, a surgical incision that uh, needs to heal, it's pretty clear that if opioids are used at all, we don't need very many. So three days worth is pretty much enough. I mean, there are studies that say women had hysterectomies and they took one or two days worth of opioids. Hysterectomy, abdominal surgery. Right. So, you know, the, the relative judgment about do you need an opiate or not, especially when it's a youngster, and as you point out, developing brains, substances, don't, don't, they're not friends to developing brains. So I think the, the rule of thumb is less is better. Uh, if, if 
there's a condition that needs treatment at all. How does someone who's got a busted leg, you know, bad, let's say it's it's bad, they got pins now, they, they've, you know, and from a snowboarding accident, a skiing accident, and they've been taking some, some uh, pain medication that a doctor gave them. How does that turn into addiction? What is the, and not just the, I want more. Sure. But what's actually going on in the brain that this is coming from, I hurt and sure. I don't want to hurt to sure. I'm I can't get pain meds, yeah. so I got to shoot heroin. So the, the the first thing to understand is that in the brain, reward, which is getting high, right, is inner, inextricably linked with relief, which is taking away pain. Okay. And after a while, if I am taking a pill to relieve my pain, and a pill like an opioid, which has in and of itself, I mean, it doesn't cause addiction, but it does, the, the, the system develops tolerance so that if you take an opioid on a regular basis, whether you're 12 or 50 or 60, you will eventually need more of that drug to give you the same effect. Okay. Furthermore, if you could take it on a regular basis, sooner or later, you won't be able to not take it because you're so used to the drug, you're physically dependent on the drug, that it, if you stop it, you'll have withdrawal. And uh, you, you'll need to be treated in some way. So okay. both of those things happen in anybody who takes an opioid in a high enough dose for long enough. Is there an emotional aspect to this well, as well? That's that's the third component, which is the drug works in the brain, and and it's really a vulnerability. So there are some people genetically predisposed to develop sure, addiction, sure, sure. or who've had horrific trauma experiences, high-intensity stressors that change the brain and make it more vulnerable so that if you put an opioid in most people's brains, they might take it, they might even get physically dependent, but they don't get the attachment that happens with addiction. Okay. In this vulnerable population, and adolescents are more vulnerable than grown-ups, you know, over once, but before they're 25, in, because of the developing brain, if you expose that brain to substances, it causes more development of addiction. So, in other words, a 15 or 16-year-old with a snowboarding accident who gets a prescription for Norco and takes it for two months is going to be much more likely to continue taking that over time. In answer to your question, there is an emotional connection. Uh, it relieves anxiety. It relieves fear. It relieves depression. Uh, and, and I'll just qualify that and say it doesn't do that in everybody. It does it in oh, wow. certain people. And the fact that it does it, that it works well, is the reason why people get addicted. In other words, if you don't have this predisposed brain, you'll take an opiate, you'll say, ah, oh, it makes me itchy, or, you know, yeah, it takes groggy. the pain away, but I, yeah. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to take it. If, if you have addiction, you take your first dose, and it's like, holy moly, what's just happened? And what's happened is the, the drug has fit that brain receptor like a key into a lock. And it's unlocked a part of the world I never saw before. And I want some more of that. And it's not like I intend to get out of control and do the things that addicts do. I just want more of that feeling. I was in uh, uh, Sweden and I had a disc blow. Mm. Like it, and it, it, when it exploded, it, piece of it were pressing up against nerves and stuff. It was a bad, bad deal. I, I, I was talking earlier on a show, when I visit a doctor or a hospital, before I have a chance to not say it, sure. I say, I'm an addict in long-term recovery, you know, please be careful about offering me pain meds. Yes. 
Now, this was one of those times where yeah. I needed it. I, 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 I was trouble breathing. I was sure. trouble. Sure. Um, it ended up in my IV bag. They put it into my IV bag so it wasn't physical in my hand. Yeah. But I remember but. <laughs> the experience yeah. of that thing washing over me. Yes. My wife was standing next to me and our two children were both young adults mm. who've known about my addiction, sure. watched me Change. melt and grin. And yeah. in that space of numbness, my shame and pain of this is what it was like and I never wanted to face them like sure. that was... It was intense. Overwhelming, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and I've not heard this before, but are you saying that that, that, that washover not everybody gets? Correct. Absolutely not. If everybody got it, everybody do what you do, or I do, <laughs> or, you know, the, the, the young people that are out of control. No, it, the reason people get out of control is because it works so well. That's the real problem. Let's let's go to a question I told you I was going to ask off the air sure. because I've I've interviewed some people who own facilities um, that are now using marijuana THC to uh, to work with pain management people who are coming off of opioids. Um, yay or nay, Doc? What do you think? Boo! <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, a strong nay. So. A couple of things. One is in Colorado, there was a study that was supposedly done that said opioid deaths are down since marijuana is legal. Uh-huh. Nonsense. That was an absolutely fallacious presentation of data. It was like saying people who eat ice cream uh, are more likely to have car crashes. You know, there was a correlation of information. Right. A whole lot of things that happened in the state in addition to marijuana being legalized. And the net effect is that if anything, use of marijuana increases the use of opioid medications for pain. Why? Why? Because you think of marijuana as priming the brain in the part of the brain where craving develops. Okay. So if I have opiate dependence and I take marijuana, it both decreases my inhibitions and it triggers, tickles my dopamine receptors. Yeah. And... After a while, weed isn't really going to do it. I'd much rather have the drug that I'm dependent on, which is hydrocodone or morphine or heroin. Right. So, and that's a, that's a database study. When you think about, so, so first off, THC is not a great treatment for pain. The data is not there to support it. Now, maybe we'll find out later that, th that, th that there is data, but it, most of the studies show that people who chronically use THC, which is the active right. intoxicating agreement in marijuana. Tetrahydrocannabinol. Correct. Uh, you know, the, the thing that people are getting high on. Right. What we find is that people who use that have more pain and tolerate their pain less well. So how do we explain the belief system that says marijuana is a good treatment? Great, okay. It looks like because of the intoxicating effect, which is disinhibition and sedation and I don't give a crap. Well, it's also there's also an overload of anandamide copy because it's right. not true anandamide, right. which is a, a neuromodulator. Right, so, which is our own body's neurotransmitter right, substance right, right. that makes you have a sense of well-being. Well, if you do that, pain seems less important. So I'm both loaded, stoned, yeah. and I have this pleasurable experience and pain the effect of pain diminishes. 
I don't think that's good pain treatment. The only research, and maybe you can speak to this, that, that I've seen that seems to validate THC mm-hmm. as a medical component at all is its ability to help cancer patients eat. Yeah, and even that, you know, really? it, well, it helps with nausea. Yeah, and it's indicated the the marinol, which is a dr- dr- drabinol, is a is a actual pharmaceutical grade uh, cannabis. Right, sure, but that's been around for a long time. We, they don't use it nearly much because it doesn't work as well as other anti nausea medications. But okay. yes, you're correct. It is indicated for that according to the FDA. All the rest of it, in terms of medicine, in my estimation and my observation is that it's not effective. It seems to be indicated by lobbyists. Yeah, and then you have to look at the other side of right. it, which is what it's, is it going to do to a brain of somebody who is using it? Right. And if they're using it on a regular chronic basis, it's damaging, especially an adolescent brain. I mean, before 25, the brain is developing all the cognitive, the, the sharpest parts of the brain. And if you load it up with THC, you impair that, you, you decrease IQ, uh, you decrease school performance, you decrease motivation. I mean, the list goes on of all the negative effects. And with any treatment, you have to balance risk versus Right, benefits. cost and payoff, yeah. yeah. And if there's all these negative effects, I, I think we have to pay attention to those and, and not look at, at treatment as an option. The, the reason why I'm asking about marijuana, sure. and I want to talk about CBD next, is because this is this is the type of thing that a kid comes to the parent with four billion pages of that course. they've printed off of Google that says uh, marijuana is good for pain management. Yeah. And it seems to be backed by now that there are treatment companies in the industry using it to transition. Uh, now, what I did not, what I neglected to mention is that none of the treatments are, are saying permanent replacement. They're yet. saying we're going to use a short-term placement so your body doesn't go into full detox yeah. mode uh, on an emotional level and we can keep you sane. Yeah, I've seen it. There are better ways to deal with withdrawal. Simple. Okay. Now, you what know. about CBD as a in, uh, sure. an inflammatory? So CBD, cannabidiol, is one of the 140 components of the, <laughs> the uh, marijuana plant, right, right. right? THC, the intoxicating one, CBD, and then CBN, which is c- cannabinol, have a, a totally different uh, profile. Right. So they come... They don't get you stoned, first they don't, of all. They have no cerebral effect, right. no intoxicating effect. Right. And they look to have benefits for uh, inflammation. So as you said, anti-inflammatory causing pain relief. They have an effect on anxiety reduction, uh, antipsychotic included, and they have an effect to prevent seizures. Charlotte's Web, you know, the way this whole thing got started was kids are having these intractable seizures. You give them this Charlotte's Web, which is CBD, and it prevented seizures. And now there is a, a legal form of CBD, Epidiolex, which is is prescribable. And that's indicated for these unusual seizures. Turns out people are actually using it off-label to treat pain and to treat anxiety and other uh, emotional issues. Like you said with THC, are there better ways? Or do you think well, CBD is... Well, CBD is very promising. The, 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 my look at the data is... That, that it is probably beneficial. The side effect profile of CBD is really quite benign. Yeah. So again, risk versus harm, 
there's not a lot of harm. There is very little risk and uh, the benefit, sorry, risk versus benefit. The benefits are some, you know, they're not like miracle drugs, but they do decrease inflammation, decrease pain. So I think they should be on the, on the study. The problem with CBD is you don't know what you're getting. Unless you have a, a verified, quantified content for, TH, uh, for CBD, what people are getting is CBD with higher levels of THC or not pure CBD, and they're loaded with impurities. Most of the CBD in the United States comes from hemp, which is, which is marketed out of China, and hemp is a dirty, dirty, dirty plant. A lot of mold, too. It's got mold. It's got uh, pesticides, high levels of pesticides. It's got mercury and zinc and other impurities. The, the marijuana plant leaches the crap out of the environment. So it's good for the soil, but it's really bad for whoever gets a hold of that. So what you want to do if you're going to get CBD is look at the label and make sure that an independent laboratory has guaranteed that it is only 0.3, less than 0.3% THC and the rest CBD. And that is not the case for most, the majority of products that are out there. We'll get back to our guest in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risk and Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing, incredible drink to hand out to other people, to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of Guayaki Yerba Mate and brain recovery, brain building. I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate. And you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting-edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. All right, so let's let's get back onto pain medication here because uh, as as we're we're coming around in the next few minutes, I want to make sure we leave parents with good advocacy uh, uh, skills for their kids when they are at the doctor and good management skills for when they have this type of stuff at home. I mean, you feel like like maybe you, you just, every parent should have a safe for their firearms and for their drugs, yeah. and you're required by law to have this stuff in there, or sure. you can get busted for neglect, because access is a major issue. Sure. So now let's talk about, you're at the doctor, your kid has a legitimate, extremely painful injury. How do we advocate? So the first step would be to really make it very clear to the prescriber that we're concerned you know we, we don't want uh we don't want him to take or, or her to take 
meds that are not needed. So how can we ensure that what you're prescribing is necessary, appropriate, and in limited quantities? Because so you're real, not a medical deity. You're no, a medical doctor. Yes, and, and lots of doctors or prescribers are not going to be real thrilled with the question. They may get defensive. Too bad. Nice. You know, the, the, the response of, hey, I want to know what you're prescribing. I want to know why. I want to know for how long. What's the treatment plan? What's the egg? You know, if you're prescribing them for more than 10 days, there's a, there's a 20% likelihood that they're going to end on them in a year. So what's the plan to prevent that, doctor? Wow. If they're on them for 30 days, there's a 25% chance they're going to be on them at three years. That's the data from one study by Shah. So, doctor, do you realize the seriousness? And at the very least, that doctor will hear the message, uh-oh, this parent is pretty <laughs> uh, geared up about this. Yeah. Uh, no prescription, and the CDC has said this pretty clearly, should be prescribed for more most acute painful conditions resolved within three days, rarely is more than seven days needed. So if you're walking out with a prescription for more than 28, say, pills, that doctor needs to explain what the intention is. Wow. Uh, and we do know that if pills end up in the medicine cabinet, that is the number one source of pills, both for the young patient, yeah. but also for the siblings yeah. and the friends of the siblings. And the friend, like this, it's access is, is the primary You're, part You of said the it right. So, you know, these are, these, are, these are poisons, and they should be treated as such. They may be necessary poisons for treatment, but if... I were a parent, what I'd like the parent to, to say is you have to justify to me, doctor, why are you prescribing it, how many, for how long, and what's the plan, you know, what's going to happen with this? What, what, what can a parent be asking for instead, or at least ask for by name to say, could we do this instead? Sure. Would it work? Yeah, there are alternative medications, anti-inflammatory, so that's the class of drugs where ibuprofen is, right, sure. or even aspirin and Tylenol are. I mean, there's one study that says hydrocodone, five milligrams, head-to-head, -head, was just as good as Tylenol in combination with aspirin around the clock for most acute painful really? conditions. Yeah, so... You know, you don't need a prescription for, for Tylenol and aspirin. No. You don't need it for ibuprofen either. So, and, and you know, I'd, I'd want the doc to at least weigh in about the the medical efficacy and What concern. could be the argument that if, if we're looking at that, what could a doctor say as an argument that, no, I want him to have hydrocodone because... You know, there's a, a specious argument that says if you are in pain and you don't treat it properly, it'll turn into chronic pain. That's not the truth, but that's what doctors will say. They will say, it's good for this young man or young woman to not have pain for this temporary period of time so that they don't develop a, a syndrome that, that causes chronic pain. Okay, doctor, if that's the case, how long is this going to last? You know, what is your, what, what's the length of time? Because in terms of side effects, anti-inflammatory medicines can irritate the stomach. Usually kids are pretty immune to, to that. Sure. Or, but, you know, they're, they're healthy enough that that won't happen. They can cause blood clotting problems, highly irregular. They can cause cardiovascular problems, not an issue for young people. So I can't think of any reason, unless the doctor is convinced that the condition is so painful that it will exceed the, the availability of, of this medication to work. Wow. I, I would say start with ibuprofen. You know, or start with ibuprofen and Tylenol, and if it doesn't work, call me within 24 hours. What's the what's the the downside of that? 
Doctor gets a call. Doctor gets a call. Oh. Too bad. Jeez. You know, we're talking about life and death in the, in the long run. Okay, so now we, we've all decided that, you know, the, the quality of life would be dramatically decreased if they didn't have hydrocodone or one of these huge ones. Maybe only for three days, but okay. it was that important of a surgery. Sure. What does a parent do now? They've been handed this bottle of sure. opioids, and we all are scared to death sure. of the opioid crisis. How do we manage this better? I think they, they hold the bottle tightly. <laughs> <laughs> they open the bottle and dispense the prescribed amount, and then they close the bottle tightly, and then they keep it. And kid says, Mom, or Dad, really hurts. It's, it's really take, hurts. Take a couple Tylenol now. You know, see how that goes. Take a couple aspirin after that. At the end of six hours, now it's time for another hydrocodone. Maybe they have forgotten that it hurts so much. Yeah. Or maybe it does hurt so much. And if uh, that's the case... If it continues to hurt beyond one every six hours, then I think that takes a call to the doctor. Maybe it's a break and the break isn't set properly. It's not setting. You know, it, with a youngster, it shouldn't hurt so much to exceed that kind of dosage most of the time. Uh, Dr. Paul, how can how can parents get in touch with you, read your uh, uh, writings? You were doing a book signing earlier. What, yes. Is this a new book? Uh, no. It, well, it's uh, within a, the past three years. Okay. The, the, so as your big book. They, the, they, the pain antidote. Uh, it's about what do I do if I have chronic pain? So that's not really the topic we've been right, addressing. Right, but right. if somebody has pain and is challenged by taking medications uh, or is not functioning well, the pain antidote's really helpful. LasVegasRecovery.com is our website. You can get as much information as you need uh, on, on the website. Doctor, thank you for spending this time it's with me pleasure. yet again on the show. Good. I look forward to speaking to you more. And yeah. if there's ever you, you have an article published or something that's gone on and you want to get it to my parents, don't hesitate to contact good. me. I'll put you on immediately. I'll let you know. Thanks for your good work. Thanks, Doctor. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere, all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.